Welcome to Trail Manners, the podcast so dedicated to mountain trails and running that they broadcast out of a 78 Volkswagen bus in the mountains. Who does that? Eric and Joel are your hosts and will bring you the trail life as you may have not heard it before. You hear about everything from gear reviews, nutrition to keep you upright and moving forward, and they'll even bring guests into the bus for conversations that you won't hear anywhere else. It's time for some running adventures on a higher elevation. The old 78 Volkswagen bus is fired up and headed to the mountains. Here are your hosts for Trail Manners, proudly representing the 801 with their passion and love for the trails, Eric Manning and Joel Hatch. Hello and welcome to the Trail Manners podcast, episode number 87. Today, Joel hooked up with Ty Draney over the phone, where they discuss the transition from road running to trail running. So if this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. The Trail Manners podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at trailmanners.com. Come back often, and please feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Trail Manners. All links are in the show notes. Now let's get after it. All right, welcome to episode 87 of the Trail Manners Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Hatch. With us today, we have Ty Draney from Afton, Wyoming. Episode 87 will cover the successful transition from road marathon to trail ultra. Now, this topic came to us from one of our loyal listeners, Natalie Sheffield. She sent us a question saying, hey guys, I really want to run the 50K, and I have a background in road running and in triathlon. And I thought it would be an easy transition, but she fell prey to the fear of missing out. She saw what everybody was doing on social media and thought, dang, if they can do it, I can do it. But she got burnt out. So she asked us, can you guys cover this topic? Because it would be good for those newbies that are making that transition. So I thought, hey, what better way to address this topic to, to have, you know, our good friend Ty Drain get on the show. And Ty's joining us. You know, he just got done with the track workout, so he's a little bit smelly. So thank goodness he, he's just doing this over the phone. But Ty, thank you again. And how are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's good to be here. Awesome. Thank you. So for those of you that don't know Ty and his background, he is a Patagonia-sponsored uh, runner. Also, his other uh, sponsors are PC Runco. That's Park City Runco for those people not in the know. Ultra Aspire, 307 Beards, because they really care about that glorious beard that he has. Uh, Black Diamond and First Endurance. Uh, Ty's been coaching for over 17 years. Um, he's coached over 60 all-state athletes. He has 11 state championships under his belt. And he's been named Coach of the Year over 19 times. So he has a pretty solid resume. Ty is also coach to the Ultra Running Stars. And you can find more information at tydrainingendurance.com. So Ty, I think this is a good time to maybe touch on this topic because we have some really good trail marathons coming up at the end of the summer for maybe some of these people that are making that transition. And I wanted to kind of like, well, just talk about you know, why people might make that transition from road marathon to the ultra scene. Uh, well, the, the whys, I, I guess, could be the, you know, a whole bunch of reasons why they might want to do that. Probably mostly because, like you say, all, that's what all the cool kids are doing, right? I mean, <laughs> get, getting out, getting out, getting out on the trails, uh, doing those sort of things. I think, uh, looking to we're always looking to transition to something you know the uh if you know running your your you know 15th ogden marathon or you know whatever that is everybody's looking for a new wrinkle or a new twist to kind of spice up the routine and 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 add to that level of of curiosity you know to to or uh, to kind of spark and, and inspire to keep all right, so we just had a little bit of technical difficulty with uh, the call getting dropped. Um, sorry about that. So we were talking about some of the reasons why um, somebody might want to make that jump from uh, road marathon to the ultra distance. And um, Ty, you were saying that 
Uh, it could be uh, multiple reasons. Uh, the one that you were trying to uh, elaborate on was you know, possibly just looking for that new challenge, that next challenge. Um, I think that's kind of kind of an innate thing for most runners, right? Where they, they start off at that 5K level and then once they kind of get comfortable with that, the next thing is the 10K, uh, half marathon, marathon. And then once you've done a couple of marathons, you're comfortable with that. Maybe you have a friend that does these crazy ultra marathons. You're like, huh, I wonder what that's all about. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, by nature, runners are people that like to be challenged. Uh, I've always found it pretty fascinating. We like to be challenged and we like new things, but not too new of things because we like our routine, right? Right. I mean, uh, we're, uh, that's kind of human nature. And so uh, I think moving to the trails is a great way to find that balance, to spice up what you're already doing and, and still find ways and excuses to, to maintain that routine that, uh, you know, we've developed all these all these years of, you know, getting out and getting on our morning run and, you know, or, or what, whatever that is. And so and and, and uh, trying something new makes it uh, makes it exciting, makes uh, can make things fresh again. Exactly. I think when you, you have that that routine, you crave it. It's something that becomes part of your daily life. And after a while doing the same thing over and over again, it can lead to a little bit of a burnout and this is kind of that way to maintain that routine, but then keep things fresh. Yep, exactly. For sure. So if you've made that decision that you're going to step it up, you're going to go to that next level, which is traditionally the 50 K that that's considered the, the entry level point for ultra marathon. What can somebody expect when they make that transition or they make that leap to that that ultra running world? Uh, well, I, I think uh, the the risks are, like you say, that could maybe to bite off too much too soon. Though you know, we all have that friend who you know ran a five k and then ran their first hundred or or whatever. You know, those there's always those outliers. Yeah, but, I don't uh, have those type of I, friends. Yeah. Oh <laughs> uh, well, I I probably I guess I run with the wrong crowd then. But you know, but, oh, pun intended there. But uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, um, I I think there are some adjustments. You know, that all of it is just running. Uh, uh, but but there are a few things I think um, yeah it's it's really easy like you say with the social media and stuff to and and if you get caught up too much in the even the the normal social part of it you know there's a group run here there's a Wednesday night run here oh yeah um, you got to find that balance to see how you can improve how you can participate but without uh, you know overdoing it I think the nice thing about the trails is the the with the ups and downs and the different terrain that uh actually injuries your typical running injuries are less likely right they're not on that they're not on that curb the whole time running yep yep you're not on that flat surface you're not running you know with the with the the curve of the road and and some of those things but uh yeah that just kind of got to listen to your body proceed with caution and not let your you know your heart get ahead of your brain too far Right. So when somebody does make that transition, um, obviously they, they got to dial it back just a little bit because, uh, maybe they haven't been that experienced trail runner in the past. Um, I think what a lot of people struggle with when they do make that leap is that they kind of expect that their times are going to be similar. So what I mean by that is if they go out and they do a, say they do a 10 mile training run on a trail, well, that's not going to be the same as a 10 mile training run on the road, right? Yep, exactly. And that's kind of the first point. I just jotted down a few things uh, this morning when I was thinking about, you know, about what we talk about. And, and yeah, that concept uh, of that you're going to slow down. I think is probably the very hardest thing that you're going to realize. And, uh, yeah, because like you say, you're going up, you're going down, you're going over routes, you're jumping over logs, you're doing these things that that make trail running unique and different from road running. Right. But sometimes, yeah, I think uh, that maybe to help with that transition, a good idea is to maybe start training by time. 
Yeah. Instead of worrying, instead of worrying, you know, say you used to go out and you'd run your 10 mile runs at eight minute pace. So you go that I try to encourage my runners, if that's where you're at and you're transitioning, well, go out for an 80 minute run on the terrain where you'd be. Yeah. As, you know, the, the Strava guys and all that stuff, you, you odds are you're not going to run your 10 miles but in that know, the 80 effort minutes. In, in that 80 minutes and and so as you build towards that you know you get more confident and get stronger and then you know start adding in mileage other places but uh i think the the terrain and then you forget even the the altitude you're running at you know right. you end up at the top of snowbird or you end up on logan peak or where, wherever you are running uh you know you, it, it's just going to be slower you have less oxygen and uh and so you take it and enjoy it for what it is and enjoy the scenery and 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 put in your time and your body will adjust and if, if you as long as you can keep your brain you know from freaking out about so that you're not not running you know your eight minute mile pace all the time right and i think a lot of uh, roadrunners have that that trouble transitioning where they, they keep expecting to maintain that pace they did on the road, but they don't take into account the variables. And you, you really did nail it on the head with, you know, it's, it's about the variation of terrain that could be roots, that could be rocks, that could be going up, that could be going down. And how, how should somebody best um, deal with that or become more comfortable running on the trail? Because we're going to assume that some of these people are kind of new to the trail running scene and they might not know, you know, how to negotiate the trail in an efficient manner. Uh, well, um, it, it takes practice, right? It's a specificity thing like uh, you want to get better at swimming, you know, riding a bike's not going to help you with that so much. And so just spending some time on the trails uh, and getting used to that. Another great idea is, you know, plenty, there's plenty of people around. There's We're on information overload, again, going back to the, the, to the Internet and those kinds of things. So, I mean, but the easiest and most fun way is just, you know, find a mentor. Find somebody right. that, that you enjoy spending time with and, you know, if you can go out and chat and you can be in some cool scenery and do those kind of things, you're, you're not going to be so worried about uh, checking your segments and and, and some of that, that other stuff. You, it's, you're going to see kind of how it's done that, yeah, in this really steep section through this rocky section of trail it's it's okay to walk or you know you can pick Ooh. up on some of those those little nuances of uh of trail running that may might seem kind of weird if you're just out there trying banging it out trying to figure it out on your own so that brings up a really good point when you said it's okay to walk so in, in, a, in a normal let's say normal kind of mountainous 50k how often are you expecting to walk for an average runner for an average runner um boy i don't it, it depends on the course there comes a point for everybody and I, it, that point varies a little bit when it becomes more efficient and faster to walk than it is to run right and we're talking even, about even going up and even in a 50k yeah going right. go, go, going uphill you're gonna uh because, you know, unless you're doing something like a, a vertical K or something where you're really cranking it out in a sh short amount of minutes, anybody in an ultra is going to be out there for multiple hours. Right. You know, even if you're a screaming fast person where you're talking about running around something like Way Too Cool or some of these faster courses where guys are running, you know, three hours, three hours and 15 minutes, that's still multiple hours. Right. And so um, there comes a tipping point in there to where you're just, uh, I mean, you might feel stronger. You're just spinning in, but a, a running a steep section may just be inefficient. And uh, again, it takes a little time to kind of figure out where that is for you. As the distance increases, then the opportunities to walk also increase. You know, I encourage, I uh, had a friend running 100K the first time in, in Pocatello this last weekend. I was like, any doubt whatsoever on a, if it's uphill walk right if you have any doubt if whether you should run or walk walk because there'll be plenty of time to run later you know when you're going to be out there 12 14 16 hours uh yeah you've got to conserve some energy some some point of the race now, i think that's a good point to kind of 
just drive home is that it's okay to walk because you're you're conserving energy overall. Uh, you're not getting to that point where you're redlining it, which is harder to recover from. But still, so many people from from that road background really struggle with the concept of walking, and it's okay to walk. And if if you take that time and you look around at other so this is during a race scenario. If you take that time and you look around, you're going to see other people walking as well. And I think that's a good cue to be like, oh, I need to chill. It's okay to walk. Um, it, it's not, it doesn't mean that I'm a less of a runner. It, it means that I'm being smart in the environment that I'm, or the train that I'm at at this point in time. Exactly. What about, so you, you've said a couple times now that it's going to be longer. It's going to be multiple hours. Um, how should somebody then deal with uh, fueling? So nutrition and, and hydration, because most road marathons will have aid stations almost every mile or every two miles, but they definitely don't go more than three. In the trail running world, you might have an aid station every three miles. You might have an aid station every, you know, normally it's every five to six. Some races, it might not even be for 10 miles. And I think that's another big hurdle for those people getting into it. They, they really struggle with that. How do I properly keep myself, one, hydrated and two, fueled? Uh, yeah, this is the, the fun part, right? I mean, we don't get, we don't buy too much stuff. We're not, it's not like the fisherman <laughs> who needs a boat and lures and, uh, you gotta get and, uh, try and some packs, try some bottles, you know, there's, and there's a couple advantages and disadvantages, uh, to, to each of those, you know, if you can carry your bottle or your, um, or if you prefer using a bladder, uh, in a pack, that's the most efficient way. You know, they've done studies to showing, you know, energy used and that sort of thing. Um, is you can carry that on your back instead of out, out in your hand. Right. Um, there's, uh, what I really like, you know, if, if they're close enough together and the temperature isn't too hot is I like carrying just a hand bottle. Cause I can either just stuff that in my shorts if, when it's, uh, empty enough or or whatever just carry that that having that right there in my hand reminds me to to drink sometimes yeah. uh sometimes if it's just stuck there back behind you you get chat and you get you get competitive you put your head down you're you're running 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 suddenly you know you get to the next aid station and you think man i drank all this water and and they go to fill it up for you and they're like uh you know you get you haven't drank anything in the, la in the last leg. And so that, that's a good, good reminder there. Um, uh, nutrition, I don't know, probably the only thing trickier for nutrition as far as being a personalized thing would be footwear. You know, everybody is, is so unique in that area. So you, you got to try some stuff. I mean, th I think most uh, gels, most uh, energy companies remind, you know, you want to try to get in a couple uh, hundred calories per hour. And, right. Uh, the the more liquid it is, and the more colder you can keep it, the 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 quicker your body is gonna be able to access those calories. You know, some of the guys, the Carl Meltzers and the Jeff Brownings, and some of those guys that can do like uh, six gels an hour. You know, it's no wonder they can run so far so fast. But uh, I know for me, then I just end up off the side puking because right. I have way too much much in my stomach. And so that's something you need to practice. I know. You know, there's, it's been a kick. A lot of people are big on like their fat metabolism runs and I'm not going to take in any calories or, uh, and, and they, those, I suppose have their place, but you, you got to get dialed in what it is you want to want and what you're able to eat. Right. Uh, and those of you got kind of an iron gut, what a better place. I mean, you know, when you can roll in an aid station and you've got, uh, you know, candy, cookies, uh, right. fruit, all, all those, uh, and just a big smorgasbord and you load up and, and you keep on trucking. Yeah. I think that that might be a surprise for those first time, uh, ultra runners is the aid station. You come up to it and you're just like, what is this? <laughs> There's delicious. You know, exactly. Delicious is the correct answer. Is that. <laughs> for sure. Um, I think that when I roll into an aid station, um, usually it's whatever appeals to me. Um, and generally that's been potato chips and if they have it, watermelon, those are the two things I'll, I'll usually, you know, eat a little bit of. Um, if it's a longer race, um, 
peanut butter and jelly squares are pretty good for me, like one of them. Mm -hmm. um, and then I'll have some gels in between the aid stations as well. And I usually vary the gels. So that way I'm not hitting the same flavor or the same consistency yep. because, you know, a power bar gel is really kind of watery compared to a goo gel, which is very viscous, right? It's very thick. Correct. And yep. mm -hmm. So I'll, I'll go ahead and mix those up. But it took a while to kind of figure that out, right? And as you touched on earlier, it's, it's about doing this during your, your training runs to kind of find out what works best for you. And the aid stations are kind of there as a, at first it's an experiment. You're like, well, I'm going to roll in here. This looks pretty good. But how's it going to feel in, you know, 30 minutes down the trail after I've eaten, you know, five or six of these pierogies? <laughs> yeah, you're, you're going to know. Body's pretty pretty highly tuned instrument, you know, despite our bef best efforts sometimes on that. And, yeah, it'll talk to you, and you know, and, and you'll know if you should go, you know, like yeah. – Next time I'm pacing a Wasatch, I'll pass on the squid jerky. Stuff like that, you know. Uh, <laughs> squid just, uh, jerky. Sounded, it sound, sounded like a good idea at the time. That you never know, sounds uh, good. <laughs> no, oh, it was delicious and salty and, you know. Oh. 20 miles Twenty miles later, I was hoping a cougar would eat me when I was laying beside <laughs> the trail. So, oh, my gosh. Um, yeah, um, uh, yeah you, and that does. It takes a little experimentation and see, uh, see where you're at. I think that one other thing that um, we just haven't really touched on fully yet, and it's kind of a big deal, is is you know hydration. Like you said earlier, it's you talked about actually carrying, you know, the water because in, in marathons you're probably not going to carry water because the aid stations are close enough. You're going to drink some water when you get there, but in the the trail running world, our aid stations are you know spaced out far enough that you need to carry something, whether that that's a handheld in your hand or like you said, in a bladder, um, you'll figure out what works best for you depending on the actual distance in the train. But one thing that we need to kind of address is how much do you actually drink? Well, uh, you know, you can have such crazy varying temperatures. We were at the, uh, the Scout Mountain ultra runs and i ran the 35k with my son and you know you're up on scout mountain it was 60 degrees and your butt sliding snow fields right and you get down to the nordic center it was there were rumors oh. of it being 96 degrees that in there, place is you know? awful and it was and it just cook your brains out and right um so yeah you want to I, I, again, see what the recommendations are. I usually try to mix in, you know, sports drink and water. Yeah. Um, uh, kind of mix through those. But I, I know in those sort of temperatures, we were blasting. We did not, we didn't, we're not carrying enough uh, bottles. No. You know, between between the two of us to, and I, and I don't know that, that you can, but you, you know, you, you tank up, you be able to carry 40 to 60 ounces and uh and in those kind of temperatures you're trying to get through you know 20 to 40 ounces of liquids an hour right and so um i think yeah, that's, that's the general recommendation is that somewhere yeah. around that 20 ounces uh, an hour or so but like you said if it's hot you could easily go through 40 maybe even more. yeah we yeah we did i know we were uh we were filling up because uh, we had between the two of us, we had about uh, 60 ounces from the big fur aid station. And we, we ran them all dry by the time we got about two miles left and filled, we watered and tanked and dunked there at the stock tank because yeah, we were, we were out and we knew we had, you know, 20 to 40 minutes of running left and, and yeah. So that all those things have to be taken into consideration for sure. Right. And I think that just comes down to uh, just testing it, experience. Uh, just that's what your training runs are for is to kind of fine tune how you respond to different terrain and different temperatures. And it then, does. And it goes to that specificity and that can be a challenge. Right. You know, I, I know I had a conversation with more than one runner that said, well, you know, the only time I have to run is from, you know, five to six thirty every morning. 
I was not ready. I was not ready to be running. You know, the 35k started 11. Right. And, and we were, you know, we finished in around five hours or something. And I mean, so it's, you know, we ran right through the heat of the day and, and especially if it's a target race or something, you know, you're really, then you're, you're really looking to do well at, yeah, that's another thing that needs to be taken into consideration is, is time of day and that's a good point. Uh, how, how you're feeling and and working some runs in. Uh, you know, our, one of my athletes, well, Mark Robbins, is trying to get ready for uh, Western States and sent me a picture of him running. You know, in the middle of the day on Saturday with uh, I think he was pacing a brother at Squaw Peak or something. You know, with four layers of clothes on and. Yeah, those are all all factors you have to to figure out. That I think that's such a good point because we are creatures of habit. So we'll we'll run at like five in the morning for two hours, and then on the weekends, since you're used to running early in the morning, you're probably gonna go out and run early again. You're not gonna be out during that heat of the day. So how does somebody prepare for that heat? Because where we are, you know, out here in the West. You're always going to run into a really hot race day. It's very rare that you're going to have one that's on the cooler side. So if you if you're always running in the morning, what's the best way to either prepare for that or to mitigate the effects of race day once you're actually there? Uh, boy, there's a whole thing. They trail runner just really had a really good article. Uh, the talking about the different things that you can do to, to get ready, you know, as it becomes Western States time and guys spend athletes spend time in uh, saunas, uh, you know, running with extra clothes, running in the heat of the day, just driving around doing their errands without having their conditioning on. Right. Um, uh, the, the whole process of getting better at, at running and especially I think ultra running is, is the idea of, getting comfortable with being uncomfortable that's true you know like you say we're 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 creatures of habit and we like to you know as as i you know we flip on the air conditioning we use the remote you know all those all those things we have in everything instantly at our fingers it's uh, going through some of those processes and just and getting used to it you know i've heard of guys you know getting ready for western and they don't turn on their air conditioning or roll down their windows and with their commute back and forth from work and every little thing that they can do to, to get used to, you know, uh, functioning when, when the temperature is, is higher and, and yeah. And then uh, you have on race day, if it's still that hot, again, you got to make sure you have ice in your bottles and, right. and you got to, sl- and you got to slow down. You, yeah. I think I that's mean, important is that you have to really, because it can become something that is, borderline emergency if if you're out there for a long time and you're just exposed to that heat um and you're not hydrating as much as you can because maybe the distance between the aid stations is longer than you expect you can get in trouble pretty quick out there yeah and you gotta take your time when it's hot like that you want to take your time in your aid stations and hope that they've got some some ice on hand. And sometimes they can't because those aid stations are pretty darn remote. Yeah, no doubt. So that maybe brings up a good point. How do you deal with an aid station? Uh, um, yeah, you, you need to take the time that you need. And I think it depends on the type time of the race. Right. I think uh, that if you're really racing, you need to be very efficient. They, they can be a black hole, you know, as you always hear the old adage, beware of the chair and some of that stuff. There can be minutes and hours lost in aid stations, you know, if you don't have a have a clear plan right. of, of what you need and, and and you need to get in and out of there. But when when you spill yourself teetering, uh, sometimes you need to take the time. You need to sit in the chair. You need to get in the shade. you got to right. get in the creek and get your body temperature down. Um and again, as it sounds like a stuck record here, is uh, uh, it, that that's going to take take some experience, you know. And that's when it's nice to 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 have a mentor, to have somebody who's been there and done that, to be like, you know, what what should I do in that situation? It's where I know lots of people argue about self sufficiency and 
you know, should there be pacers and hundreds or not being pacers and hundreds? And uh, I see both sides to both arguments, but some of those things can be critical, right? Uh, you know, to have to have someone that there's pressure to help you make some of those decisions besides just you know charging charging down the trail. Yeah, but and we're so, so we're addressing that that newbie that that runner that mm-hmm. maybe has never done that before, right? So it, let's yeah. say let's say that it's relatively early in the race. It's warm. Um, they're just about come, they come into an aid station. What should they be doing? What should, mental checklist should they be going through? Uh, I think the when I they need to make sure assess their fluids. Okay, you know uh coming in so they can decide how much they've drank uh so they know uh you know you need to top them off no matter where they're at uh and when you do that inventory you're going to need to know if you need to drink more right. in the next leg so i so i would get some uh see if anything sounds good sometimes a little salty food sounds good just look over what they have um Top off your water if they've got ice. Get as much ice in you as you can, you know, even in your hat and your shirt, whatever needs to keep your body temperature down. And if you're not familiar with the trail, maybe ask somebody how far to the next aid station. Sometimes right. they'll post it there, and that will help you assess how much you may or may not need to carry. Um, and then you move on through there, you know, because it takes a lot of speed you you spend 15 minutes at an aid station um you know you've got to run a minute or two faster per mile to make up that time right uh and if if that's something you're concerned about you i don't know that you need to hurry but you need to be efficient as you move through those right and And like you said so if you're making that inventory that that checklist coming into the aid station that allows you to be you know efficient as you as you move through and especially if you have a drop back Yep, because that that can take time to get it. If if you're if you're lucky, and there's enough volunteers, they can go get that drop bag for you while you're refilling your water bottle and um, maybe eating something real quick, and then you can get whatever you need out your drop bag. Yep, I think that when you know those races out there that you know, where you do have that luxury of having the drop bag. Um, I think organizing your drop bag is pretty important too. So that way you're not like fumbling around trying to, to, to find stuff. Um, for me, I will put things in in baggies, in Ziploc bags. So I'll have a Ziploc bag for my gels. I'll have a Ziploc bag for if I'm going to do, change my socks for my socks, um, stuff like that. So it's all really compartmentalized. It's labeled. I, I know exactly what is going to be in there. So that way there's no second guessing and I'm not like fumbling around for it. So that way I can be really efficient. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a good, that's a good idea. The nice thing about drop bags too, is that you can truly, you know, customize whatever it is you like to eat or drink, or, you know, if you have some of those special things that you, you might need, you know, another thing you might think about, uh, you know, getting doused with water when you go through, if they, sometimes they'll have sprayers spraying water, sunscreen, Yeah. you know, getting some sunscreen on. I, I know that, uh, when it's really hot, I like to just some have like those ice, special ice things that they'll wear cooling bandanas, just an old fashioned bandana to get where you can dip it, uh, get that wet on your neck, uh, uh, can help keep you cool down too. Yeah, I think that that's something that I really haven't fully embraced that yet, and I, I want to. Um, I think it's just that sheer stubbornness, but I know it's going to help. Um, yeah, I think it's those, easier for us Wyoming guys, like you yeah, know, wear, you get to wear the cowboy bandana, you know, and so it's uh, yeah, well, it's, it's less just, of a fashion faux pas. It's just not as hot up there as it is down here in Utah. So you guys don't get as many opportunities to, to practice that. Um, I yeah. think those buffs might be. Have you ever tried it with a buff before? I wonder if those would work. Uh, I know they have them. I know they have small ones that are partially sewn that you can just stuff ice in them. Um, hmm. uh, yeah. But, or you could just make your own, right? They're, yeah. Because they're so long, you just cut them in half and then fold them in half and sew them again. Um, sometimes, uh, I know you can, with that, when you get lots and lots of water, sometimes chafing can, can become an issue. 
it's um, always an issue when you get really wet <laughs> like that. Yep. And so, um, yeah, there's also some variables there that uh, you might want to that, that uh, the chafing shower, I guess, should always be on the on the checklist. Feet, okay. You know, make sure you're you got any hot spots because uh, taking a few seconds or a few minutes to to put out some of those fires early. Um, can save you a lot of pain and misery and, oh, yeah. and slowness uh, later in the race. And especially that, that post-race shower, that could be <laughs> the most painful thing if you've got really bad chafing. Yeah, you know, no doubt. I, for me, I'll, I'll go ahead and use, currently I'm using the squirrel's nut butter. And so I'll, I'll lube everything up with that. And then I also have a little bit of a, the powdered squeaky cheeks I'll dump in the shorts too. That, that's kind of like my my concoction of chafe proof that's been working lately. But then I also carry with me, if it's a really long race, I'll carry with me that, that micro tube of uh, squirrel's nut butter. And mm-hmm. I can hit all those hot spots real quick if I need to. Yeah. Yeah, because it, you can bury it. I know uh, we used half a tube of it on... Uh, saturday just because it's you know, go everything it's you know 75 at the start and then you're sliding through snow and then it's 90 and then it's 96 and then it's you know and and yeah so it's it's nice to have a few of those little knickknacks on hand to to put out the fire if you need that in between aid stations but all if, if you don't you know you got you know a pocket or two in your shorts or whatever to oh yeah carry some of those things and uh but yeah pretty good uh thing to add to your inventory list as you're going in to make sure you take care of those things before you you move on and charge down the trail right some of the aid stations will have vaseline not all but i've seen some and i think it depends on how desperate you are to use that because you you know somebody (laughs) else that's had some bad chafing has used that and and hopefully they've had the popsicle stick to you know apply it to each individual Mm -hmm. they throw the popsicle stick away but just on the chance that they don't oh man you gotta be desperate to to go there (laughs) (laughs) and you're racing when i'm racing hard i don't worry about that so much but yeah well no i mean you're a fast guy i'm talking about like us normal runners right yeah yeah (laughs) we got time to worry about (laughs) stuff like that All right. Is there so I think we've touched on a lot of good topics so far as um what to expect, you know, how to make it easier to transition. Uh we've talked about slowing down, you know, it's okay to walk, really it is. Um practice on varied terrain. Uh if if you've got a key race, you, you want to try to mimic that race and in your training as far as terrain goes. Um the time of day that you're going to run, if you can make it happen, you know your race is going to be hot, run during that time of day if you can. If not, then it's kind of a mental thing that you're going to have to adjust to. I know it's going to be hot, then I have to prepare with drinking more more liquids. Um, maybe my nutrition strategy is going to be more liquid-based, whether that comes from... Uh, say your your drink mix or through gels um then we also touched on you know how to move through the aid station quickly um taking care of the little things before they get big whether that is going to be with chafing uh that rock that you think is in your shoe might not be a rock in your shoe it's probably going to be a blister um take care of those little things before they become big things for sure what else do you think is important for the road marathoner that's transitioning to ultra i think um, back on the training part is um i think it's important uh you're going to be out there a long time you need to run long that needs to become one of your focus workouts um but i don't know that you depending on how much mileage you're doing um but if you're you know you're running 50 60 miles a week or whatever to get ready for your road marathon you don't most of us don't have time to like some of these elites to run 120, 150, 180 miles a week. Nor um, do they have the body type that can sustain that. For sure. For sure. But I think it's important that you shift that mileage 
and what that what your focus work is and so that maybe you know you do a couple back-to-back long runs on the weekend and that's kind of your focus workout and the other times you're doing some other things or uh, and so it's just is the focus and the intensity is going to shift more than uh you may need to increase mileage you know but what i've noticed for myself personally and what for many people is um i don't know how much mileage has to do with as much with how well you perform but it has a huge amount to do with how quickly you can recover from a long effort okay and so i think that's one of the things you can you can go out and run a 50k and maybe run 30 40 miles a week uh if if you're pretty strategic with your workouts but no knowing that when you go out there and hammer 31 miles you're probably going to be pretty beat up right whereas if you can increase your mileage you know again to something that's still manageable but maybe run 50 or 60 i think you'll notice that the, you know the body you'll recover way faster after your your refocus race but you know so a shift in in into doing some of those longer miles again on that terrain that you expect to be racing on so you said that the one of the important things is to do back-to-back long runs. Is that something that you're going to have one of your clients do every week, or are you going to do it every other week, every third week? How often do you throw that into the training plan? Oh, it, it depends. And it, I, I find I go more to that for longer ultras than I do, say, for a 50K. Okay. I mean, because it is – I mean, it is – you can – you can get away with a 50k with marathon training right and then once once you go to 50 miles i think it it takes a little more adjusting and then once you go to 100 miles it's way more uh i don't know harder is the right word but way harder than uh it's exponentially more difficult than moving from 50k to 50 miles Right, because and that's so, kind of like a linear progression at that point where you can start, yep. you know, making these assumptions like, okay, I handled that 50K pretty good. If I bump my training up just a little bit more, then I can see doing the 50 miler. Whereas when you go from 50 miles to 100 miles, and you're throwing in a whole bunch of other variables at that point, and that might be a discussion for another show because oh, th- sure. there are so many different variables. You know, you've got eating actually whole food at that point. Well, for most of us, we're going to eat whole food, uh, running at night and how to deal with that and how to just will yourself to keep going forward when you're just dead dog tired. Yeah. Yes, indeed. So, but like I say, so I think just a shift in, uh, in mileage a little bit to, to focusing, uh, using that, uh, long run you know oftentimes with with shorter races that it's you know hard workout easy day hard workout easy day long run and it's it's a key component but not really a focus i think it needs to be, become a focus whatever that whatever that is whether you and and you want to work up to where you can can do uh, a 25 mile long run let's say uh and and be comfortable with your gear and where you're at and 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 then the rest will take care of itself i I don't think very often that we need to you know you need to go out and do 31 mile long run to get ready for 50k i think that'd be Uh, really tough yep you know your your recovery is going to be definitely slower at that point whereas if you do that 22 to 25 mile long run with the solid base and like you were saying your recovery is better which then leads to having better workouts it does so when you have some of those other times which kind of leads to the only other point i could really think of is you know we it sounds a little kind of uh, contradicts what we talked about at the first as far as slowing down but still especially for 50k still need to find some time to run fast Oh, for sure. It may not be quite the focus, but, you know, through strides, tempo runs, if you like getting on the track and doing some stuff, um, find some time. uh, I know from the outside looking in, ultra runners kind of have 
you know, a reputation of being plotters, but uh, yeah, those, if you're cranking out a 50K or even if you're a Walmsley or any of those guys, they're definitely not plotters. No, they're, 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 they're getting after it. Yeah, they're getting after <laughs> it big time for, for yep. sure. Um, so let's talk about strides a little bit. I know that when, when I was being coached by you, you certainly had us doing strides quite a bit at the end of a run. And at first, I was a little bit confused about the notion of doing strides because I did not have that track background. And I found myself running them too fast. How would you best describe doing strides at the end of a run? Uh, yeah, we usually prescribe that a lot to people, especially after easy recovery days. You know, kind of get some blood flow in there and, and just to engage those, you know, some of those fast muscles, your hamstrings, uh, parts of your glutes that make you run fast. And I don't know, there's, they have a million different names. Uh, sometimes the terminology is confusing. Uh, striders or rollovers or uh, just, you know, 50 to 100 meters where you uh, you build up to about 80 to 85 percent of max speed. Right. And focus on being relaxed, good form, and then you just shut it down. But it's one of those things that engages those muscles so you don't forget about them. Right. And because uh, you get tired at the end of a hilly ultra, you, I'm a big believer, you're going to recruit every muscle that you can find. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, and, uh, and it's going to, you're going to feel stronger. And, and the idea with doing, you know, five to 10 of those after one of those runs is, is to get those fired up and, and you should feel fresher after it kind of engages some of those other muscles that you, you you might we might not use as much in long racing and uh and get you prepped up for you know for tempo runs or some of those quality workouts that uh might be on your schedule right so uh, a stride is essentially you go somewhere up to 100 meters run about 80 percent of your max speed but then what do you do in between each one of those intervals? Do you want people uh, jogging back? Do you want them walking back to the start? Oh, we just you, you, either one. Some people like to walk back. I like just doing them full rest. I mean, it's it's not for the aerobic work. You know, we're right. not banging these out to uh, increase the cardiovascular fitness. But uh, uh, yeah, so just you can I just do them back and forth, actually, in my neighbor's driveway because their driveway is a little bit longer than mine. That's <laughs> but, a really long uh, drive. And I. Yeah, and I just stand and uh, stand and rest, you know. And then once my heart rate drops back down, then we'll fire them up and go back the other direction. And uh, yeah, it's a good way to uh, insert some speed and a little bit of quality work uh, uh, without taking, you know, taking anything from the bank. I think that one of the things that I, I saw by the end of the like doing, say, three months of strides is that my mechanics became more efficient because I had failed to put that in my training throughout the last like 10 years, right? So my stride became more efficient, meaning that it wasn't laborious, it wasn't plodding. Um, I, I was being more efficient with my footfall um you become more agile and nimble through you know the the terrain i think that was one of the really big beneficial things i saw from doing them yeah awesome those are all the good things you know and it becomes when you run faster as part of your ultra training too and it becomes a partial part of that is your perceived effort if you can you know get on say go out and do a tempo run at whatever six minute pace let's say or 6:30 pace, uh, um, then you can get to where where you're, you know, comfortable as you can be. That sounds a little bit weird when you're doing a tempo run, but you can you you can become uncomfortable, efficient at doing that. Right. When you hit the flats, uh, you know, on, during your 50k, you're going to be much more efficient, and and running 7:30 is not going to it's not hard anymore. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and you're going to and you're going to feel fast and, and feel confident and and be able to be super efficient through those uh, uh, those flat parts uh, of your ultra. 
So what we have so far is back-to-back -back long runs as, as key to you know being successful in that transition to the ultra world. Also, you talked about doing strides. Um, I know you like tempo runs, but I you've also had your clients do repeats, and it could be anywhere between one minute and three minute hilly runs. How how important do you think that is? Uh, again, it depends on the phase of, of your training you're doing, and uh, and it becomes uh, it's a good way to include that hard effort that's specific to what terrain you're on. Um, you're doing the hills, uh, I don't think it was Frank Shorter said that there's speed work in disguise that you're not able to run fast, but it, it forces you to use those same muscle groups and give right. you that resistance. Uh, engage your uh, hip flexors, uh, a few things. Sometimes we don't lift our knees very much <laughs> as ultra runners and get, get, uh, get the, you know, those, engage those hip flexors, your glutes, and uh, yeah, it gives you a, a make you efficient on running on the train you'll be racing in. That's great. Well, I think that we've done, well, I hope that we've done a really good job of covering the topic of, you know, transitioning successfully from road marathon into the ultra world. So before we sign off, Ty, is there any last tidbit of advice or anything that you want to cover? Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. I think that, you know, uh, no, none of us are getting rich at this, you know, so you want to find the, that happy medium between, uh, uh, you know, getting what you want out of it and, and, and enjoying yourself. And those get kind of intermingled together. But there, there's plenty of information out there, plenty of people, you know, drop an email uh, to ask someone at your local running shop. Uh, there, there, there's lots of stuff out there and you can uh, cobble together, you know, what it is you, you want and need. And, and that's, I've always maintained, that's my favorite thing about the sport is we, we can get anything we want out of it. You know, it's, it's whatever we want to get out of it. You, you, you put in the time and, and that's the magic of, of being involved with these kind of things. Oh, that's so true. Well, Ty, thank you again for, for coming on the show and, you know, giving away all this really great knowledge. If you have more information uh, for Ty, you can contact him through his website. That would be tydrainyendurance.com. Of course, we'll have all that information in the show notes. Um, again, thank you, Ty. We really appreciate it. And uh, like he said, it's okay to walk. I'm Joel Hatch for the Trail Manners Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Trail Manners Podcast. We'd like to thank Ty Draney for taking the time to join us. Sorry about those technical difficulties there. And we also want to encourage everybody to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Trail Manners or swing by the website at trailmanners.com. There on the store page, you can check out some cool gear, get some swagging rights, and don't forget... Our hoodie pre-sale goes until June 16th, 2017. So a couple more days, get a now go get it hoodie. Until next time, this is Eric Manning with Joel Hatch reminding you, you don't get what you wish for, you get what you work for. Now go get it. <laughs>